You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. You know, when you test out all the different options and you land on one, then you feel like you feel confident that you've had made a good choice and I feel very confident about that. Grandfather was the same way. He used to be a drafter and my mom shared some of those drawings as as I was growing up, you know, old steam engines he would draw and stuff like that. So but as, as I went along I realized it was the right profession and you know, track for life. This is Dr. Lisa Belial and you're listening to Love Maine Radio, show number 231, Community Architects airing for the first time on Sunday, February 21st, 2016. The spaces in which we dwell, work, and recreate have an undeniable impact on our well-being. Who are the people that design our spaces, and why have they chosen this profession? Today, we speak with architects Caleb Johnson and Kevin Brown about their love of space and how this is translated into interactions with the community at large. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Apothecary by Design. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines prepared by experienced professionals with a focus on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way that it's meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. My next guest is an individual who should be well-known to readers of Maine Magazine, Maine Home Design. This is Caleb Johnson, who is a Maine licensed architect. He and his wife, Dina, are very well-connected in the southern Maine community and their three children. It's, it's quite fun to be able to have Caleb in here to talk about some of the work that he's been doing and um, his connections to southern Maine and probably Maine at large. Thanks for being in here. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Caleb, I want to go back a little bit um, and talk about why you went into architecture in the first place. Sure, yeah. I think it's uh, an interesting discussion. And for me, my path to architecture uh, was through art. I um, began my life really quite early uh, in grade school, very interested in art um, and very interested in drawing. And I pursued it uh, pretty passionately, actually, in grade school and through high school. And uh, came to a point where um, I was highly encouraged by my parents to go into fine arts and uh, was given the support, was uh, told they would support me through college doing it, but came to a point where I realized that uh, um, I wanted something um, maybe a little bit more practical where I could... uh, where I could be involved in things that um, had a had more of a daily need and purpose and a, and what I thought at the time a larger impact on uh, on communities, um, 
I've maybe changed my view of that a little bit, but uh, at times I've actually said uh, to friends that I kind of wimped out of art and went into architecture. <laughs> so that was my path, is a, is a love of art, and, um, and uh, never looked back once I chose my uh, junior year in architecture, or I mean junior year in uh, high school to go into architecture. And um, I think it was a great decision. What type of art are you fond of? Well, I started with a real passion um, for uh, Impressionism, and then that uh, that morphed into many other um, types of uh, art that I became passionate about, but it was always kind of centered around landscape painting. Um, in uh, college, I uh, studied with a um, portrait painter the entire time I was doing architecture for no credits. I just wanted to do it. so. Uh, always found it important um, in any creative uh, endeavor you know ideas start in the mind and eventually you need to communicate those to somebody else and in the visual arts um, which architecture could you know is closely aligned with in the visual arts uh, the easiest way to communicate an idea is often through a picture and so the ability to go quickly from an idea in your mind to a picture uh, gives you the ability to um, convey your ideas to others accurately. And um, so that was, um, that's been just a huge part of my entire career. And uh, I've kept that up through college and keep it up to this day. Still doing, uh, just restarted down at Engine in Biddeford some figure drawing classes or sessions, which has been a lot of fun. So art is definitely a, uh, remains a major part of my career. Have you been able to incorporate your love of art and drawing and painting into the work that you do with architectural design? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I draw every day. There's not a day that, that I don't draw um, because, once again, it's the communication of ideas that are visual. At some point, it's got to pass through a pencil um, or a computer, but, I, you know, for me, I can get an idea across very quickly um, by just putting pen to paper or pencil to paper where if I was to attempt that with a computer, you might wait a half an hour before I showed you what I could show you in 30 seconds of what an idea is in my head. So every day, ideas from up here onto a piece of paper so that you and I can talk about that idea and, and bat it back and forth and see what you think of it. And uh, so every day, art is, art is a part of my life. Different people have different ways of communicating. So if you're working with a client in perhaps building a home or maybe even working on something that's um, larger, like I know mm -hmm. that you, you're working in Biddeford on some pretty big projects, mm -hmm. um, how, do you, how do you communicate with other people who maybe aren't as visual? Maybe their way of communicating is um, more just spoken word. Or maybe they're more kinesthetic. Maybe they need to touch things. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question because, um, you know, in the end, in the end if, uh, if I'm working on a project for a municipality or I'm working on a project for a private residence, um, in the end I have to somehow um, connect with you and get you to trust that the ideas that, that I'm putting forward um, meet your needs and hopefully go much beyond meeting your needs and get into the realm of inspiring you or changing, uh, changing what you think was possible. And so you're right, um, I definitely run into clients. I could show them drawings all day and they won't get it. 
and uh, in those in those situations, we'll um, you know could be three dimensional modeling in a computer, could be three dimensional modeling right in front on a table. Um, often the quickest route is let me show you a bunch of pictures that are more like vignettes that get across an emotion, and people can connect with that. Um, and you know, you show me, for instance, a, a, a picture of a living room that you really love. Um, there might be absolutely nothing about the architecture of that picture that you like. It might be in a some style that you would never build for yourself, but you might really connect with the emotional um, kind of the emotional impact of that picture. And I can learn something from that, and I can translate that in a into the conversations you've told me where you're looking for this, but you show me a picture that's, you know, at odds. So I think, um, I think photographs um, is another great way of, of communicating, but also, you know, you really can, uh, if you can be articulate in the way you talk and you run into somebody that just is not following you in, in the visual languages, you know, you can earn somebody's trust by saying, I understand you, I'm listening to you. Um, in, in the way that you're engaging with them, and they'll build a trust in you. And uh, some of our best, pro certainly our best projects um, revolve around clients who trust us and engage with us in conversations about ideas, because in the end, that's what architecture uh, for me is about. And so that can happen uh, just by conversation as well as batting back and forth drawings. I know that you and your wife, Dana, are very interested in health. Dana is a health coach. From what I understand um, from your business partner, Shannon, there's a lot of really interesting things going on um, in your, even in your office that you, you're really trying to get people to live their lives in a full and healthy way. Why is that? Well, as far as I understand it, right, we have one life to live. So it's either get on with it or, or don't. And so... Um, I'm thinking in the uh, in the scheme of things, working uh, takes up a pretty good chunk of our lives. So um, for me, I love what I do, and I'm not going to do it if I don't. Um, I love my freedom, and I uh, don't like to be uh, stuck in a box and told when to go and come. And so I think um, there is the reality of running a business and the reality of deadlines and money that are ever-present, but to, to the ability that we have um, to allow the people we work with freedom to kind of make choices about their daily lives, we certainly do that. So some, you know, one of the biggest things I think we offer, which a lot of businesses are doing these days, is we, um, we offer flex time. You know, It's like come and go with reason as you please. Make sure that you can collaborate with your peers and collaborate with, uh, with me and other people. But come and go as you please, and um, you know um, that gives that gives people, I think, in our office, just kind of the feeling of you're not a cog in the wheel. You're part of an overall conversation. You're part of an overall effort um, to be a part of the community and to be a part of the architectural community, and um, to kind of chart your own course. And so I think that's you know that's a that's one of the biggest things that we do is do our best to offer people. Um, their freedom and autonomy and not feel like a cog, you know. So I think, uh, uh, and then I think is, you know, naturally I think the people in Maine, um, a lot of the people in our office, they love exercise, they love being outside. That's why they're here. 
and we do our best not to get in the way of that and do our best to encourage it. Um, so, Why has Maine become such an important part of your life? Why were you, why were you drawn to Maine, and why do you continue to be here? Yeah, I think um, it's an interesting question because I see that uh, here in Maine, I, there's just a lot of people that I feel pretty close um, kind of kinship with. Uh, similar minds, similar ideas about life, um, and I think that there's, I think, um, I hate to use the word brand, but Maine just has such a strong brand to it of, it's about the outdoors, it's about beautiful, you know, small towns, it's about the coast, uh, it's about New England, and I love all of those things, and I think the people who really stay around here love those things as well, and um, that's what brought my wife and I here in 2000, and uh, we enjoy all of that every week, you know, every day. And uh, I love to travel. I go to other places, and then I'm very happy to come back to Maine every time. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not drawn away from Maine by any other, uh, by any other location, nationally or internationally. And, and uh, before I came to Maine, um, I was itching for a place to settle down because I was never longer never in one place longer than five years and uh, during my whole life did a lot of travel uh, internationally and around the country and so you know when you test out all the different options and you land on one then you feel like you feel confident that you've had you've made a good choice and I feel very confident about that my wife and I both do so where are you originally from that's a hard question but uh, I've lived everywhere from North Dakota to uh, to New York City um, rural New Hampshire, uh, Pennsylvania, Chicago, on and on and on. So, um, like I said, it's, I'm pretty confident that I love it here and we're not going anywhere. I've noticed um, one of the reasons that I, I know you a little bit better than many of the people that we work with with the magazines is that you and Dana and um, Shannon and her husband, Galen, uh, you are out in the community. You are at the Kenny Bunkport Festival. Um, I think you were at Bruise and Tunes last summer, you know, with your kids, and you were at the Danforth Inn on New Year's Eve. I mean, I, I can't turn around without you being there, you and your group, and you're so engaged. I mean, all of you, and it's such a, it's such a nice, um, it's, it's just such a nice feeling that you want to be interacting. It's, that's not, necessarily the norm for people who work in the architecture field no so there's a couple of things going on there um yeah we love to be out um, but i wouldn't say i was always that way um certainly i remember one of my closest friends who's a photographer that's well known in uh in uh maine trent bell uh, my first year in high school at virginia um all of his friends encouraged uh, him to go befriend me and get me out of my dorm room because I was just in there drawing all day. So naturally, probably more of an introvert. Um, but um, you know, to practice uh, to practice my craft, which a well-practiced craft can kind of delve into art. Um, you can't be um, practicing architecture and construction and not be known. Um, and not be in a community, what that will do is mean you're practicing it on your own computer and on your own drawing pad and doing something else during the day. 
And so um, I've come to really love being a part of a community, um, even though I started that practice because, you know, I need to get out. I need to network. I need to know people if I'm going to uh, do what I do. And so um, that, though, has had a real impact on my life because where maybe maybe originally as you know as I made my way through high school and college a handful of friends a handful of acquaintances would do now I need an entire state in order to support the organization which we're building you know with uh, I think we're close to 20 employees now and um, and all of the expenses that go along with that so if I make it a practice to stay in my office and think and draw and do all of that and not get out then we will quickly be running out of work um, and so the net result of that I think is an interesting discussion because um, knowing people interacting with people uh, it, it absolutely amazes me how social humans are right I mean there's what is there uh, close to 7 billion or just over 7 billion of us we're, we're everywhere I'm looking at a hawk on the highway the other day and I'm thinking man what is there maybe 10,000 of those in this state and there's a million of us I mean uh, it's a good thing we're all so social. And the more I get out and the more I enjoy friends and community, um, the more fun I have doing it. And the more my life is enriched by other ideas, right, um, by the warmth of other people. Um, it brings on, you know, if you're going to be out in all of the communities and getting to know people and just having a good time, um, you can't be that negative and down on life. If you are negative and down on life, you're not going out, right? You're going you're gonna to stay in and, and kind of think about your own problems. And uh, so it's really had an effect on me over the past um, really 13 years. I started my own business in 2003. And prior to that, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have seen me anywhere. And uh, since then we get out quite a bit as you've mentioned and it's had a really profound effect on my life just getting to know other people um, listening to them taking in their ideas and making that part of my overall story and drive so transformative well it's, it's interesting because i think you're identifying something that um many artists struggle with that if you are a musician like our audio producer Spencer Alby or if you're one of the many um, if you're a landscape artist artist like Jane Damon who came in a few weeks ago or if you're a writer like Tess Gerritsen who we interviewed in the fall you have both things you have both aspects um, sometimes equally strong in your personality you need that quiet time you need that introspection but you also need that connection. You need to. You need it not only f to sort of inform your craft, but also to build business. Correct. Yep. So it's kind of a dichotomy. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't see it so much as a. Uh, if 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 you wanted to really get into it, I wouldn't see it so much as a dichotomy as so much as. Um, you know, really, really, the one informs the other, and the one can't do without the other. Uh, because uh, because an artist uh, an artist alone um, eventually is going to lose touch with the uh, the things that are really important to humanity and uh, there might be some artists out there who would say well my art isn't about that my art is about my solitary pursuits and thoughts I personally am not interested in that art so um, I'm interested in art that can have an effect on all of us and um, 
you, you got to be out there. You got to know what's going on. You got to travel. You got to know people. Otherwise, you're going to, your ideas are going to be stale. And I have certainly found that, that, um, that um, just, just really being part of the community uh, enhances the ideas and enhances the craft. And then once that, once you have a command of that craft, you can take that craft and do unexpected things with it, which starts to get into the world of art, you know. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's a very interesting conversation. But uh, like I said, it's just uh, it's a really fascinating discussion to me about just how social humans are, and uh, that definitely has a lot to do with architecture because um, architecture, you know, kind of holds holds people together by by the nature of what it is and uh, the way you design a building has a large effect on the way people interact with each other and so it's worth thinking about one of my heroes uh, um, Steve Jobs who's had a huge effect on you know really worldwide um, had a massive effect on the way uh, office buildings are designed and they, they were the way he insisted that his headquarters be built was to encourage um, kind of accidental collaboration between everybody so that you would cross paths all the time and you know kind of cross fertilize ideas which is which is what we were talking about a minute ago that's just really um, essential and if you're going to come up with original ideas that have an effect on people much better to start off where the rest of humanity left off um, and so in order, in order to do that and then move, move the envelope one little step farther in your career, um, you've really got to just be out there, talk to people, understand it, look a lot of books, do a lot of traveling. As you've moved from um, a smaller to a larger organization, which you said employs 20, roughly, yeah. roughly 20 people, mm-hmm. what have you learned there's there's a big difference between oh my. learning working for yourself <laughs> and being the one who is responsible for people. You're responsible for their health and well-being, you know, health insurance and making sure that they get a paycheck to pay their mortgages. And what have you learned from this? Yeah, it comes back to um, it comes back to this idea for me of. Uh, of kind of discovering just how social and how important uh, other people are to each one of us. You know, you think of these, uh, you think of like wolf packs or gorilla packs and how social they are and they're all all over each other all the time and you look at like, you look like healthy, you look at healthy communities of uh, engaged people and it's, it's, it's pretty similar, you know, we can't get enough of each other. And so what I did realize uh, a long time ago, I remember uh, one of my longtime uh, collaborators, Jessica Jolin, who works at my office, she reminds me that way back in like 2006 or something, I, I said to her, she was straight out of school, is, you know, like, don't worry about that little issue in architecture. The most important thing you're ever going to deal with is just your relationships with other people. And the more I, farther I go, what I'm realizing is that... Um, the uh, thing that has the most impact on my own well-being and my own happiness is the quality of relationships I have with other people. And probably you would tell me as a doctor that if my 
mental attitude is bright instead of gloomy, um, that that's going to have an effect on my overall physical health as well. And the best way I can say to stay stay bright and not down is to is just really foster um, collaborative teams of people happy to be together, happy to be working together, happy to be working on the same issues together, and to have real challenges in front of them, right? I mean, what we do is, I don't, I don't care how you cut it, it is just not easy. Every day there is a massive problem to be dealt with, um, whether it be a budget problem, a schedule problem, a human resources problem. There's always big issues out there, and we all have to be happy to, to tackle those challenges with a really positive attitude. And so I guess if I was to say, what have I learned by growing an organization from you know, one person to, to 20? We're still a very small company, um, but it's just, uh, it's just about how important leadership and very sensitive, um, empathetic leadership is to getting something successfully done. You can't treat people like uh, cogs on the wheel and expect to get anywhere. Um, and where we're trying to go is, is to be a part of this overall architectural conversation, you know, and we're all happy to do it. So that's probably the biggest thing is just the importance of people. What's your favorite project that you're working on right now? Currently? That's a good question. We have, um, we have right now a uh, project in Bitterford. Um, uh, it's the Waterhouse Field, and it's a kind of famous within Maine high school uh, football stadium. And it, it has the opportunity to kind of reignite a passion in Biddeford amongst a certain crowd um, and potentially the whole community for kind of a civic community pride. It has the opportunity to give students of Biddeford a chance to be really proud of their city and uh, proud of who they are as athletes. And um, if we can find a way with the limited resources we have for the project um, and with the political hurdles that we'll have to cross to get the project funded, uh, if we find a way to accomplish that, um, then I love what that project could do for a community of people and bring them together and helping them find um, common ground. You know, might not have the biggest architectural opportunities. You know, some extremely well-funded homes just offer some wonderful opportunities to explore uh, materials and beauty and all of this type of thing, which I think is uh, very exciting. But this one has a, could have a real impact on a community, which um, is taking up a good chunk of my mind at the moment. Having spent um, much time at my grandmother's house and she grandparents' house when they used to live on Gertrude Avenue in Biddeford, mm. um, and having had family members who were football players for Biddeford, it's big, right? Many moons ago, yep. I can certainly understand what you're saying and the importance of, um, I guess, fostering good community spirit and having that be a piece of that. Could really be a leg up to a. Uh to a young athlete or, or kids from Biddeford to have like a pride in their community, right? To, to, leave, uh, to leave a community to go to do something else, but to remember, to think back and have positive memories um, 
could really boost their, uh, you know, give just a little push to their self-esteem, and and uh, it's just so important, you know. Uh, and an athletic program can really do that, you know, give give kind of a framework by which you could start to understand the the possibilities you have. Um, so. I think it. I think it's really important, and you you know you can't overstate what one little project is going to do in a kid's life, but all these little incremental, you know, pushes on the flywheel, if you will, uh, can help out. And I think that's a that's one significant piece that we're working on. Caleb, how can people find out about your architectural firm and the work that you're doing? Uh, type in my name, and Maine, and you're all set. So Caleb, into it. Caleb Johnson. Google right. Caleb Johnson. That's it. Yep. Be careful of the Caleb Johnson who won some singing contest. Caleb Johnson, Maine. You'll find us. It's uh, pretty basic. And they can also, of course, go to uh, Maine Home Design, Maine Magazine websites. They can read about the things you've done, see the beautiful photos. Right. And I think you have several projects that are in the pipeline. So We have several projects in the pipeline. That is true. Yep. Well, it's been a great pleasure to speak with you. We've been um, having a conversation with Caleb Johnson, who is a Maine licensed architect, and um, I appreciate all the work that you're doing for our state and for coming in and talking with me today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough, and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland, easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaME.com for more information. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by MacPage, an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to MACPAGE.com. Today it is my great pleasure to speak with Kevin Brown, who is a Maine licensed architect, a member of the National Council of Registration Boards, and a member of the American Institute of Architects. He's also a member of the U.S. Green Building Council and the Portland Society of Architecture. He lives in West Falmouth with his wife and two children. Kevin is an active member of the Falmouth Memorial Library Board of Trustees, where he's currently co-chairman of the Library Expansion Committee. You've got a finger in every organization, don't you? <laughs> I try to. I, it's, I don't attend all the meetings, but you know, I try to. It's nice joining other colleagues to, to communicate every once in a while. So yeah. yeah, I think that's pretty great. It seems like you have really um, made a lot of connections within the architecture community and the community at large. I've been trying. I've been trying. It's been a long pr- process, but it's it's getting there. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where, where are you originally from? I grew up in eastern Pennsylvania, um, and I lived there for a little bit after I graduated from college in 1998 for about a year and worked in a commercial firm, an uh, architecture firm that did mostly colleges and schools and realized that, you know, you're, you're, much, you're much smaller when you're in a big organization like that and was it really what I wanted to do. So 
my roommate from college worked in Camden at the time, so he was like, we're looking for people. So we, I ended up moving to Camden, Maine, and uh, lived there for three years and, and worked in a you know, high-end residential firm, which was the first time I've ever worked on the residential side of things and fell in love. So, and I haven't, you know, and I've moved south after living there for three years, but it's, it's just such a great area. That's why I enjoy it so much. Why architecture? Why did you decide that this was the way that you wanted to spend your working life? Well, you know, I didn't really know in high school. You know, I took a bunch of technical drawing classes, which were just, you know, basically drafting with pen pencil at the time. Now it's all computerized. But um, And I started out after high school, after taking three years of that technical drawing type of course, um, I went to community college because my parents wanted to make sure if they're paying for college that it's a five-year, you know, program. So we had to, they wanted to make sure before they spent all that money that this is something I serious, was serious about. And uh, so I went to community college for two years. Uh, I got my associate's degree in architecture, uh, and that was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, like the next town from where I grew up. And then from there I went on to, to get my... Um, Bachelor of Architecture in uh, in Vermont, Norwich University, and at that point, you know, going th at the end of the community college, I re really liked it, and you know, I really got a sense of what it was all about. Um, even though, and you really don't get a full sense, <clears throat> excuse me, until you get into the real world, <laughs> and then you really understand, you know, all the stuff that you do in school is sort of, you know, dream world, but it it sets you up for what you're going to encounter in the real world. When you were growing up, what types of things did you like to do? I mean, did you like to do art? Were you interested in math or science? I was I was more of a hands-on, more I'm, my, I'm more of a technical person. You know, I um, I'm not as much, and that that sort of helped my decision when I was looking at schools. There was a lot of schools that were more art related, than there were more that were more technical, and um, I've always been sort of a hands-on, sort of under, trying to understand how it works. You know, it was either architecture or engineering was the other, other thought that I would go into. Um, but that, that's kind of sort of my, and I think it goes back to my, my grandfather was the same way. He used to be a drafter, and my mom shared some of those drawings as, as I was growing up. You know, old steam engines he would draw and stuff like that. So, But as, as I went along, I realized it was the right profession and, you know, track for life. I like that your parents wanted to make sure that you were certain. Yeah. <laughs> as the as the yeah, parent of a couple yeah. of college ch age children, yeah. I'm I'm I w I'm very interested in getting a good yeah. um, return on investment. Oh sure, yeah, and it's it's much cheaper to do a community college, and the community college was really a, a great professor that ran the architecture program and made a world of difference. So you said that you started doing. Um, basically home building, home architectural mm -hmm. design when you came up to Maine. What were you doing before you did that? It was a commercial firm that there was probably 30 people, but we did, we had a lot of uh, universities that we did work for, and we did sort of field houses. They, they also did medical, like hospital, smaller hospital additions and things like that. So at, the po at that point, I was low man on a totem pole, just fresh out of school, and I actually interned, I think, the summer before I graduated with the same firm, and you get little pieces of the puzzle. You know, you don't, you, no one gets to jump right in full 
two feet after college. You have to work your way up. And, and I felt like it would be a much longer progress, a pr- procession to do that in a larger firm. Where going to residential, you jump in and you're doing all aspects of, of a project. Um, it's a little scary at first, and uh, it, it took a little getting used to, but it was a great learning experience, you know, learning that way. So if you're working on, say, a hospital project or a healthcare facility, what what aspect of that would they give you to work on? Um, probably, I think I think what I was working on, I did some, I did a lot of models actually, which I really enjoy, and I've always liked building things. Uh, and um, I did a lot of models for as I was, and that's I tend to give the fresh out of school kids. Uh, that to do. So I did models for like interiors of the spaces and um, I did an outside model for like a field house at Susquehanna University at the time. And uh, so those types of things were, and then other times I would just do red, what they call red lines is basically the head, the lead architect on the project would mark up drawings and, you know, just to make corrections and adjustments and all those things. So I would pick up, it's a much, you don't, it's kind of like just busy work, you know. It, there's not a lot of you're just shifting things and adjusting them and to what they mark it up. But they do all the sort of thinking about it, and then you're just sort of almost like a drafter in a way. So if you're building a model, you're actually building like a scale version mm-hmm. of what's something that's going yeah, to be built. Exactly. So that's yeah. kind of perfect for somebody who likes hands-on stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's why I enjoyed it so much. We don't get to do that that much these days because it's all computer. So it's so it was it was nice doing that a lot early in, the, in my career. So, well, tell me about that. I mean, I, I think about um, I, I write a lot, and mm-hmm. I, I still like to go back and put pen on paper. There's mm-hmm. still something that's very tangible, something very satisfying about that. I, I love the sort of I can go in the computer and I can write an article for Maine Magazine mm-hmm. and I can make edits really quickly. That's sure. great. Yeah. But if I want to do any really soulful writing, I, mm-hmm. I get in there with my pen and paper. Is there something similar? about that for an architect? Yeah, definitely. And in every project I start out, you, you can't jump onto the computer and start designing and getting your thoughts out freely because you, you'll hit a roadblock right away. Um, every project I start very rough, very schematically. Is, you know, the first stage of a project we call a schematic design. And really... It's with trace paper, you're doing trace after trace after trace, and you're just trying to get something that you know feels like it flows good in terms of a floor plan and space between the spaces. And at the same time, you've got to understand what, what the mass of the house is going to look like on the outside. And sort of trying to doodle, you're doodling basically, and it's, it's very rough and it's very, you may, it may not make any sense when you look at it. You know, but you and your mind know that you know those the, your pen marks mean something, um, and then from there you just it gets refined and refined every time, and it's just a lot of repetitive sort of tracing and tracing over and sort of tweaking as you go along, but that's the way I I start every project, and just to then from there then you you get to a certain point where you reach you have certain pieces of the house that seem like they work. And then to develop, to, to develop them further, you, I then start putting them into the, the computer program to, to sort of, if it's something you're retracing, you know it works, and you're going to develop it further as you, and it's just sort of a, the progress, or the, the process as you go through it. 
So I'm sure this sounds like a silly question, but is that why it's called drafting? Exactly. Yeah. And and you know, in the when I going through school, we didn't do anything on a computer. Um, right after I graduated is when the, you know we we did some we learned, but they wanted you to learn that way, and you did everything with pen and ink, uh, at the you know as your final drafting. But you know, you used the slide rule, and um, I still have one, but I don't really use it because everything's freehand that I'm using, doing by hand. And then from there, it's plus it, it takes up a lot of space too to have a, the big drafting boards. And so, um, but yeah, so it's the, the drafting part of it. You have become very involved in your not only the architectural community, because I, at the beginning I listed off all these different organizations mm -hmm. you're a member of, but also your, um, your own community as a member of the Board of Trustees of the, and a co-chairman of the Library Expansion Committee for mm -hmm. the Falmouth Library. Why has that been an interest of yours? It goes back um, probably five or six years ago. I was approached to, to sort of team up with another Falmouth architect to do a facilities analysis for the library because they were they are bursting at their seams and they wanted to expand and so we did an exercise to see what was what were the options and at the time the Falmouth was looking to build a new school but the old schools the elementary school was going to be the two of the elementary schools were going to be vacated so myself and Mike Hayes, the other Falmouth architect, teamed up and collaborated on sort of just doing some facilities studies. And it was just really sch schematic sketches like we were talking earlier and just trying to come up with space planning ideas. Could we use this, this school or the other school that was vacant or do we build new? So that was a, an exercise that we went through over a course of months and ultimately went to a, um, a town wide bond issue that we had to vote on and it, it never did pass but years later it's been revisited because everybody soundly said that they, the library wanted to stay on site at the time I wasn't on the board of trustees but you know when that then the next people when they were trying to reorganize and go try to get this library because they ultimately still need to expand I was approached to, to join and there was a vac vacant seat on the board of trustees and they were looking to assemble the, you know, any new board members with people that have experience in sort of building or construction and just trying to help guide them through the next years to, to get to where they need to be, which they've been trying for, I think, 10, 15 years to try to get, this, get the expansion going. And it's exciting because now I'm able to give back to the community, which I've it's it's you know I've I've tried I've been on a couple committees in town before there was a trails committee you know because I do a lot of mountain biking so it was sort of a Falmouth trails committee it, but that that got absorbed into another group so this to me is more meaningful because I can really give my expertise and help help them and as we go through this process um, but it's also nice being on the other side of the table and not actually having to do the work but actually overseeing and, and it's more of a it's commercial work, so it's it's a little dif different than I'm in my world than I'm used to in the residential end of things. Um, so it's been really exciting. It's been you know it's a lot of time commitment. We meet once a week, and it's probably an hour, hour and a half each time we meet. And um, 
but we're, we're slowly getting through this. And then we're now we're going through the fundraising stage, so we're trying to balance the fundraising. And, um, but it's, it's been a good process, and it's a great committee to be a part of, and everybody gives a different aspect to, to the committee. So it's been, it's been interesting and, and learning for me. I've enjoyed the conversations in the past that I've had with um, your fellow architects, mm-hmm. Rob Witten mm-hmm. and also Scott Simons, who yeah, he's working, yeah, who worked on the Portland Library, yeah. and um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea for me, the idea of working on a library in particular mm-hmm. because it it is it's got such emotional attachment. It's actually not unlike working on residential spaces. You know, these are going to become people's homes, and people right. become very mm-hmm. uh, attached to ideas about what they want that to look like. But mm-hmm. a library, I remember growing up in Yarmouth, I was at the library two, three times a week as a little mm-hmm. kid, dragging mm-hmm. my wheelbarrow full of books back behind me to my house. And the idea of kind of keeping it the same and yet allowing it to expand adequately to move into the next right. era of use. Yep. That's an interesting one. Yeah, it, it definitely is, and it's been it's been great working with with Scott because he's done so many of these libraries, and um, it was clear when we make when we were making the decision on, on who the architect should be. You know, it was clear he's his expertise in the state and and beyond. You know that he was capable, but it it's been a real. You know, I've. I have to say I I live in Falmouth, but I don't attend the library a lot. So it's so to me it's under, you know listening to the the staff and understanding where libraries are going. And I've gone to a couple of workshops with our committee uh, just on you know designing a new library. We went down to Boston to the Boston Public Library last year, and they had a, an all day seminar just on where the, the libraries are the future and what you need to account for and it's flexibility and technology and you know the everybody thought the advent of sort of the the, the ebook would sort of make libraries non-existent but it's not the case from what the, the data I'm seeing from a library in Falmouth and just everybody else and what the you know these the, the library of the future is more of a community center and people come so many people work remotely and that's where you know, we're planning for this with, with the new Falmouth libraries, you know, just planning for that, the laptop stations, the, the technology, and, and that the challenge is we, we don't know where technology is going to go. So the biggest thing is making sure that this new facility, spending, we're just going to be spending this money on this facility, make sure it's flexible enough to adapt to the future. And we don't know what it is, but we have to make sure we make it flexible enough with the lighting and technology and all that other stuff. So it's been it's been a real you know it's a learning curve for me, but understanding what what a library really has become because it's in a town like Falmouth, you know, there's not really a, a downtown. So in a way, this you know, the library being on that on that side of town where there's a lot of businesses and other things, it's people come and you know that it's it's a community center and you know they and they come and have coffee together or whatever. So it's it's kind of exciting. And that's and when I started on the board, that was sort of what was brought to my attention and it was really kind of exciting to be a part of that building and you know planning for the future. And it's only going to help the real estate values, I think, and just everything. Well, Falmouth is an interesting example of um, how growth is managed and how it's managed well just the town in general Mm -hmm. having you know Yarmouth is just on the other side of Falmouth so I'm in Falmouth all the time they've you know there's obviously been a business boom 
but there's great sidewalks that have been put in, uh-huh. it, which it's, I think the businesses at the time weren't that excited right, along right, Route 1. Right. But it's so great now to see people running mm-hmm. on the sidewalks yeah. down Route 1. And you're right, the library is tucked back behind, you know, a mm-hmm. bunch of different businesses that, you know, I don't know, they came into being, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 years ago. Right. But it's still, there's still enough of a town feel to it. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. And I think they're trying to, they've done extensive work, especially on Route 1, I think, which you're referring to, to make it more of a community walkable, very pedestrian-friendly. And we've been, we're in a way, that that sort of master plan that they have on Route 1 stretches up to the, to the library in a way. So we're trying to sort of make that pedestrian connection as well with the new design and bike racks and sort of pedestrian crosswalks and things like that. The town also wants us to, to put parking and, you know, on, you know, keeping the building closer to the, to the setbacks just to give you that more of a community feel. And so I think overall they're, zone, they're changing their zoning to, to sort of make it more of a, a community like that. Um, they're even talking about out by where I live in West Falmouth, out along Route 100, putting sidewalks and, you know, in, in the next couple of years. And it's pretty, you know, they're trying to build that part of the business center of, of Falmouth, just making more more business friendly and more pedestrian friendly at the same time. Yeah, I think that that's actually one of the my favorite things that has happened to my town and to mm-hmm. places like Falmouth is mm-hmm. just the recognition that people will use the side of the road if they feel safe. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. will walk, they'll mm-hmm. bike, they'll bring their kids out there, mm-hmm. and so and so it's not just put a put a nice building somewhere. It's right. m- make that building accessible right. and make it kind of human friendly. Mm-hmm. So you talk about being human friendly maybe also earth friendly you are a member of the u.s green building council talk about what that has meant to you as far as um perhaps your approaches to mm-hmm. architectural design when i started out in my own practice um seven years ago um my my big goal was at the, t- the time i was we were i've done a lot of high-end residential over the years but we never really paid too close attention to, and at the time it wasn't a big, you know, the energy wasn't as big of a discussion point as it is now. But we built these huge houses, but we never really paid close attention to the building envelope, which is the perimeter of the house, it's insulated and air sealed and all those things. And so, I, you know, as I developed my own practice, I was, I could take it anywhere I wanted. And that was kind of the goal was to, to learn, just school myself. And I'm still learning there's so much out there all these new wall systems to use and just trying to build a better energy efficient house that you don't have to heat or cool as much because the, the shell of the building you you spend you know you spend time detailing and um, you, you know I tell clients that if they're gonna spend money to make sure that they spend a little extra in a building shell just because it'll be more comfortable over time and it's going to save them over time. They may pay a little bit more up front, but I think over time it's, it's a much more comfortable house to live in. And have you seen an increased awareness of energy efficiency and maybe perhaps even more willingness to spend money in this area? Definitely. And I, and I think the, the products that you use have come down. You know, every, every, when the green word came out, everybody was flocking to And I don't like using the word. I like to use good design. It's really what it's about. It's good design and things that you learn about in school and you know some of the seminars you go to. It's just detailing the house and it's good design and just doing it the right way and paying attention to how water sheds off the house. But I think 
there definitely is more awareness. I know when I, you know, it's each project's, you know, determined by the, the client. And yes, we've got a, we've had a few clients that you know they push to push the envelope basically to try to get this energy efficiency. You know, we size glazing based on the or solar orientation and things like that. But it's not every client, and some people bring it up, but at the same time, they may have heard bits and pieces, but they don't understand the 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 whole big picture. And so it's sort of helpful for us to help educate those people and just sort of make them understand a little bit more what it's all about and the, some of the things that would, would help and not cost a lot of money. It's just window placement and, you know, insulation. And so it, it's it's definitely becoming more, I'm getting more and more projects where people are aware and want to push, push things a little further than others. But then, you know, and then there's other people that don't necessarily know about it. But we always, our typical set of drawings and details is, you know, it's 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 better than standard code. You know, we always like to do things a little bit better and detail it out in a way where it's not just a, a spec house that's thrown up or something like that. You and your wife will be um, renting an RV for two weeks <laughs> and heading out west with your seven and ten year olds. Yes. How do you think that might inspire you in your architectural um, daily work? I think it would, you know, I've never really explored much of sort of the Colorado, Utah, Wyoming area. So I think just seeing the architecture, um, I've seen a bunch of images and magazines and websites and things like that. So I think every time I see something unique and a new architecture sort of creation, I always take pictures of it. So, and it's just inspiration and help. Yeah, you know, I never think, you know, just sort of integrating, you know, a little bit of the West maybe into some of the stuff that I might do here. You know, there's definitely a certain things that you see in certain parts of the country. And, but, you know, there's nothing to say you can't integrate some of those elements. But so I, I, I'm always been one that the, the nature, the scenery and sort of it just excites me. Kevin, how can people find out about the work that you do and the designs that you are currently working on and maybe the work that you're doing with Falmouth? Um, yes, I have a, a website um, that I uh, have at kevinbrownarchitecture.com and you know, it hasn't been, I haven't been good about updating it in the last year, but my Facebook page is the most up-to-date and I have an Instagram account that I, uh, I update pretty frequently with um, construction of current projects and uh, sketches or you know anything that we might be working on or just interior things for, you know and, and it's all at different level we have a lot of different projects at different stages right now so it's a little bit of all that and so I would say between those those pieces it's probably the best way to find find out what we're doing the other thing is I've been trying to even in around the greater Portland area we have a, that's most of our work and you know we put signs out in some of the construction projects just so people can see you know some of the stuff that we're doing well, I appreciate your taking the time to come in and talk to me today about the work that you do. I'm excited to see what happens with the Falmouth Memorial Library. Mm, I love yeah, libraries, <laughs> so it'll be great to yeah. see on the other side of it how you guys, where you guys go with that. Yes. Um, we've been speaking with Kevin Brown, who's a main licensed architect and member, um, owner of his own firm and member of the Falmouth Memorial Library Board of Trustees, where he's currently the co-chairman of the Library Expansion Committee. Thanks for the work that you're doing, and thanks for coming in and talking to me today. 
Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 231, Community Architects. Our guests have included Caleb Johnson and Kevin Brown. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo. I hope that you have enjoyed our Community Architects show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Maine Magazine, Berlin City Honda, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Mac Page, and Apothecary by Design. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Alby. Our editorial producer is Kelly Chase. Our assistant producer is Emily Davis. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at lovemainradio.com.